there was a girl, there's a little girl who uh, took a dump at, uh, at, at okay, so let's You can see the level way. of humor in this Sorry. group. <laughs> All you need to say is take a dump and Ross and Justin burst out laughing. Hello and welcome to Bottle of Red, a weekly show about writing and creativity. I'm Ross Garner and I'm joined today by our regular co-hosts, Justin Lee Anderson and Ross Dickey. Hello guys. Hello, Hello Ross. And we've also got our special guest, comedian Jason John Whitehead, who's joining us from LA, I want to say. Yeah, that's about it. Hollywood. Hollywood. Hollywood, baby. <laughs> you got it. Uh, Jason, could you uh, could you describe uh, a bit about your background and who you are? Um, I guess I'm a white Canadian male, but I'm a stand-up comedian. Uh, I'm going on about 16 years now, and uh, my career used to be largely British-based, and now I'm all all over the world telling the jokes. I think uh, I'll now set my hounds upon you, uh, Justin. I think you want to you want to go first with the question. Yeah, as I say, Jace, we were talking about you in the last podcast. We were talking with uh, author uh, Rami Habib about marketing and stuff, and we ended up talking about sort of giving away stuff for free as a marketing exercise, which led to us talking about the free fringe, which I know you were doing this year. Um, and can you tell us a bit about how did that go as an experience? Because I know it was your first time doing it. What, what was what was good and bad about it? Uh, well, I mean, I like the movement of the free fringe. It's really nice to take, uh, you know, to to allow artists to go up there and perform at the fringe for the whole month without without it costing a lot of money. Uh, but yes, you do have to think about marketing because I personally I will not. I I if I do do the free fringe again, it'll probably be an afternoon throwaway kind of show. Because I feel that sometimes you need to approach a festival like the trade fair it is. You need to spend money on marketing and stuff like that and advertising. Um, Does it? Um, so, I'm going to interrupt straight away. Sorry. Did you said it costs money if you don't do the free fringe? How how does that happen? Oh yeah, it costs a great deal of money. Well, you got a book, so you can book a room. And I mean, I got offered some rooms this year. They were you know any anywhere between three thousand two hundred pounds all the way up to five thousand four hundred pounds for the ah, month so venues you know? charge the comedian to to take the room yeah if you think about it you have to outlay all the money first and then you have to try to recoup it over the course of the month so every technically the way the way i start to look at it as a comedian is i've already bought every one of my tickets at the start of the fringe i'm the one who's bought every seat in that house and uh, i need to sell them over the month in order to recoup the money and in some cases mathematically you're not even going to make your money back cuz you have to spend money on PR and on lodging, you know, lodging, food, PR, maybe even a producer. Uh, so there's a lot of other outgoing expenses that drive your costs up to around 10 grand. And, you know, you can look at if you're in a smaller room or something, you can look at even if you sell out the whole run, you're only going to recoup eight, eight thousand pounds. You know, by that seems crazy. I always assumed the venues just booked artists and then they made their money off booze or a percentage of ticket sales or something. Do, do, do you want to just explain what the free fringe actually is, just in case anybody's well, listening and well, there you, heard of it? Because it's it's not well. There you go. Exa- exactly what he said is is the way the free fringe works. Is the free fringe just make the money off the booze and they book the comics? But yes, technically it's not free. No, it's free to get in, 
And then it's like turning it's like turning the comedy into busking, basically. There's a bucket at the door, and punters are given the opportunity to watch the show for free. And I'm sure, and lots of people do. I mean, there's lots of people who just sneak off five minutes towards the end of the show. But the idea is that you get to name the price. So instead of going to the main fringe and spending 12 to 16 pounds for a ticket, or even 25 pounds, I guess, if a really famous comic's doing a show... You can watch a show at the free fringe, and they've cut out a lot of those costs. And uh, and at the end, you can put in, you know, I, I would like to say your five pounds. You throw your five pounds into the bucket and say thank you, and then and then leave. Some people throw, you know, or in my experience this year, some people throw two krona or various <laughs> various other items of change from different countries around the world, which is exactly what a comic like me loves. Oh yeah, this is, <laughs> this is why I came came to Edinburgh. I've got. I've got a, I've got a, definitely got a collection of coins now that uh, that is making me think. Oh, maybe I need to do some more world traveling because I got some money to spend in other cultures. <laughs> I was I was laughing there at the concept of it's free to get in. It sounds like a hotel you California. You can check out anything. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That is so. So how did it go? It was really good for all those reasons, but I think I, I was saying the same thing to Justin. I I think in the past, especially with me being based out of L.A. now. Um, I came over to Edinburgh. I toured. I did tour the summer in Britain as well. But I felt that in Edinburgh, especially if I'm going to be based out of L.A. for the foreseeable future, I wanted to make a statement to all the, you know, to British industry and stuff and say, you know, I'm still around. This is what I do. I was a little bit hidden away at the free fringe and a lot of the industry that I wanted to reach don't don't make it down to the free fringe you know don't come down to the cowgate and a lot of them are wandering around still in the pleasance and the gilded balloon so i did kind of realize quickly about a week into the fringe i realized oh right that's why that's why you spend the money to be up the hill because even though you might lose two grand over the course of the month you'll probably get 10 to fifteen thousand pounds worth of work whereas well who knows who knows what will come of the free fringe but i'm pretty sure i didn't see any big money industry coming in and out of my show i mean i was i had lots of lots of happy punters leaving but uh so would you, you say know. would you say the free fringe is almost like kind of a for a very rough analogy almost like kind of a lost leader where you just kind of have to spend the money to be seen in order that you then make your money back throughout the rest of the year is that kind of how it works well, not the, that's not not just the free fringe, but the fringe, the Edinburgh fringe. Yeah, you, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I meant. Sorry, the the, yeah, yeah, the, the a, actual main fringe, the main comedy festival. It's a yeah, it's a total lost leader. It's a, it's exactly what it is because you have to treat things like this as a trade fair. Sometimes, if you are, want to approach something and you know the concentration of all the industry that you work for and with are all there, sometimes you got to spend that extra money to reach them. I mean, when I look back on my career, a lot of my biggest contracts that i've gotten have come out of the edinburgh festival you know in a festival where maybe i made very little money or whatever but i ended up getting you know a, a big a tv deal in in australia or something and uh and that's yeah that's the way you have to approach it lost leader that's, that's uh, the word so. that's interesting because i think i was saying this to ross the other day that i would i was walking around edinburgh in the french thinking this must be the worst time of year to put on a comedy show in edinburgh because there's like there's there's huge demand for for comedy and people come there to see it and stuff, but the supply is just through the roof. Every second person you pass is doing a comedy show. Yeah, of course, everybody's doing the comedy show, but you know it's like uh... there's also a lot more people looking to see comedy than at other times of the year, though. So people go and are actively looking to find 
new comics in a way that through the year my impression is that they're probably just going to see the sort of Jimmy Cars or the you know the sort of big names everybody sees on television. That is so there's opportunity, but there's also a lot of competition. Yeah, that is exactly it. I mean, yeah, it's a, you have to congregate. To, you know, every party ends up in the kitchen, and Edinburgh is definitely, <laughs> it's definitely the the kitchen of comedy. Yeah, like I I can guarantee. Like I know right now, I've seen I saw representatives from New Zealand and Australia. You know, all people who I've worked for in the past, and I you know I saw them up there at the festival this year. So that's the reason why there's so many people there. And uh, and that's why it's still a good idea to to put a show on there because yeah nobody nobody is out scouting in in Wolverhampton uh, last night you know or you know or you name it up and down the up and down the up and down Britain right now there was comedy shows all weekend this past weekend and yeah no uh, there's no the Melbourne Comedy Festival wasn't in watching anybody you know for example yeah so Edinburgh is the place that it's, it's like a showcase exactly it's a trade fair. Yeah. Do people yeah. um, do people by and large pay when they come to a free show? Because I I went to a couple and I felt enormous social pressure, regardless of how good the comedian was. Yeah, well that's that's, that's yeah. I was going to ask if you have any techniques, you know, aside from just being supremely talented, of course. But like, <laughs> stand at the door and sort of try and make eye contact with them. Do you sort of stand further I, back so that it's, it's more up to them? He's I asking heard. how high you hike your skirt when you are <laughs> standing outside yeah, your yeah. gate. <laughs> Yes, I, I, pro- I promise all the men free women, and I promise all the, all the, all the women free money. And uh, <laughs> hey, but uh, no, I, uh, I heard, I've heard some horror stories. I heard that there are, there were some serious uh, pressure-filled, like locking the doors, not letting anybody out. Um, I did not take that <laughs> approach. Like Dawn style. <laughs> there is, there's a couple, a couple of comics in my venue who had really good runs and kept talking about the money they make. But all I heard back was like, I was, t- I was horrified. I was, I felt, <laughs> I felt terrorized in his, in his show. And I, you know, but uh, no, I basically, I had some merchandise. I offered my merchandise at a discounted price. That kind of made me happy enough but i think that's another reason why i might not go to the free it may, it's not may not be my bag to busk after my after doing a show but uh <laughs> so i offered up i have i had uh, some usb sticks with my cds on it and stuff that i was selling after the show i sold it for a tenner which i thought was a good price for a ticket so it was basically buy buy my merch for a tenner and if not throw five in the in the can and most people did there are of course lots of people who would leave uh, without you know trying to avert eye contact and sneak away and there's also lots of maybe younger there's a lot of women that were very apologetic student student women i'm a student i've got no money but thank you <laughs> for the show so there was a lot of the, there was a lot of that too uh, do you guys want to ask anything else about the fringe before we uh, move on to kind of general i was stuff? i was just quickly going to mention i read an article recently jace where um it was it was basically saying the model for uh, the festival, the Edinburgh festival that was specifically talking about was kind of broken because, and it was about, we talked about this in a previous podcast, it's kind of about the, the value, the perceived value of um, art, of creativity of whatever kind. And the article was essentially saying that the people who make the money in Edinburgh during the festival are the hotels and the bars and everything else that are here to accommodate everybody who comes here to see shows and yet the people putting on the shows who actually make the festival happen are usually the ones that go away either you know out of pocket or uh, in many cases best scenario they break even um what i don't know what a question is from that other than than to observe that that seems like a really weird way for that to happen well that that is that is very true and uh 
yeah, the artists have become the middlemen of their own uh, of, the, of their own product. But the uh, but yeah, there's there's lots of people pinching off. Like there's the reason why I thought the free French was so attractive, and it still is for that reason. For the reason that it is um, it is breaking the mold in that it's putting a lot of money back in the artist's hands. Um, but last time I did the Fringe in 2011, I was at one of the big three companies. And uh, at the end of the run, I had a very successful run. And I swear my, my fees were getting jacked up while my success was like, because what I knew is that if I, like basically I was on track to make say like four 4,000 pounds profit, I was like, oh, this is great. And that's judging by the formula that I was given at the start of the fringe. And then all of a sudden I, I got like an extra fee for lighting. It was like theatrical lighting and it was coming in at three grand or whatever when I was told it was going to be 800 pounds. And so it was like they were chipping off money as I was making it and I just felt baffled by this they were rewriting they were rewriting my expenses as uh, my success was going on and that's why I felt quite how much lighting did you have yeah exactly that seems like a lot for lighting <laughs> uh, that's that's what I'll, I will never work with these people again I had to go and uh, argue with them and show them the paperwork and then and I asked them how much and it was I was treated like a, it was like I was dumb because they were like well the, the lighting costs four thousand pounds and I was like yeah, but why have you charged me three thousand pounds? And they tried to go. We've given you a one thousand pound discount. I was like, no, no, no. You had eleven other shows in that room. You had, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, ah, oh, he caught us out. And so that was it. Got quite, uh, got quite heated, and they had to rewrite everything. But that's why I was like, wow, that's that really annoyed me. So that was two thousand eleven. So this was my first time back, and that's why I was excited about the free fringe because. I wasn't getting any. Uh, I wasn't getting any three thousand pound lighting bills or anything like that. So I wonder if we could uh, move on now and just kind of talk about your uh, your writing process uh, a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll I'll kick us off maybe and ask if you ever have time off. Because I imagine it's sort of your comedy is kind of observational. Are you just constantly looking for material all the time? Yeah, you you can't really predict when it's going to come to you, but you're not, I'm not one of those nine to five writers. Some comedians are, some comedians do get up and sit with a pen and paper and uh, I don't know, maybe watch the news or or they just, they just try to push themselves to write. I know a couple of guys that are like that. No, I, I'm always carrying my book with me. I don't think it means I'm always working, but you know, I've got it right here right now. It's, it's within, it's within reach. Um, so yes, I've always got my book on me. I never know when an incident is going to happen because that's what I do. I'm basically an anecdotal comedian. So if uh, something in my life happens, uh, I'm ready to write about it. But, I, but I'm but i not a structured nine-to-fiver, you know. And I storyboard something on my on my wall here at my desk. I storyboard it, and it's, it's there in my life. I mean, I live in a one-bedroom apartment here, so I always am looking over at the storyboard even when I'm, you know, even if I'm sat watching Stranger Things, um, I can glance over and drift off into into a routine for a couple minutes without overthinking it. But that's basically how I work. What goes on the storyboard? Is that is that your whole routine? Not just a joke, but like a, a routine you're building up for your next gig? Yeah, yeah. Storyboard, you know, recipe cards for each routine, basically. You know, like mm-hmm. if you do, like, like this year's Edinburgh show probably had about 12 routines linked into each other and so over the course of the year i had i had 12 blue cards up representing each of the routines and i've already got a plan for next year's so which is going to be very different it's going to be one one routine so but uh but the storyboarding will be basically the same um 
you know, so yeah, I throw it up, I just color code the cards and, and uh, eventually when I get an idea that I want to work on at a club or at an open mic, uh, I, I put that in uh, pink next to my blue card and I know how to, you know, and that way I know how to get to it quickly when I jump on a stage at an open mic and just get into the new idea, work it out and then come home and usually throw it in the trash because it failed miserably and then write another one. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask if you know when something's funny or not or do you have to get in front of an audience to find out? Yeah, like how many times, you know, if you take something in front of an audience, um, how many times will you try it out and how many iterations will something go through before it goes on to like a big event? So if you're doing something on open mic, like how many of those kinds of shows would you do before bringing something to the fringe or like a bigger venue? I... Uh... I think you know when an idea is funny, when something comes to you, or when an event happens. There was a girl, there's a little girl who uh, took a dump at, uh, at, at okay, so let's You can see the level story. of humor in this It's already group. funny. <laughs> All you need to say I, is take I a dump, even, and Ross and Justin burst out laughing. And I'll just say goodnight. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't got to it correctly. I usually... See, I usually withhold that information, but basically there's a little girl at Toronto <laughs> Customs. I was coming into Toronto Customs, and there was a little girl dancing around in a floral print dress. And she took a dump right there, right in front of everybody, right <laughs> at Customs. Um, and that turned into quite a routine in Edinburgh this year. So I was very much doing like, hey, mommy, are we at Customs? Here's what I have to declare. <laughs> Boom. Right. So all kinds of little lines like that. But that definitely, when that happened... <laughs> And you know the smell hit us in the catching. Yeah, immediately I was like, "Well, this is I'm gonna have to talk about this on stage." Because yeah, so I was I was, I was gonna ask like um, in situ- situations like that are probably exceptional, but do you ever find yourself in a position where, as something is happening to you, you think this is gonna be gold, and then do you ever, if that does happen, do you ever push the situation because you know that it's going to form the basis of a routine? Yeah, yeah, like a lot. Yeah, well, that's that's what I mean. Like your instincts tell you this is a good idea, and then and then it all, and then you have to start trying to flesh it out on stage a lot because a lot of times the best punchlines are not thought of at the writing desk. If that makes any sense, I find that the best the best ideas and the best scenarios, the best concepts, all happen at the writing desk desk but a lot of times the best punchlines and the best ends of the story don't they usually come up uh, on stage if anything riffing like some some of my better punchlines i don't even know why the audience found them that funny in the moment but then they just happen they happen amidst a story i'm usually having a great deal of fun having this like telling the story of that little girl i'll be telling that story and telling that story and everybody's having fun and then i'll just branch off and start riffing on it and then a punchline shows up that i that I often don't didn't predict, didn't see coming, and that's usually the kind of stuff that sticks in a story, you know, or sticks as yeah. the, as the punchline. Let's let, let's not talk about stuff that sticks in the context of that story, <laughs> shall we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do Do you write with a, a punchline in mind usually, or is that as you say something that just sort of happens or evolves naturally on stage? Yeah, I uh, yeah I, I find that the punchlines don't yeah you don't. You don't generally write the punchlines, or I don't feel you do. Um, no, you write the concept. You write the concept and the idea and the scenario. You get the story, and then the punchlines come. So a lot of times you'll have, you know, once you get the idea and the story out, you'll have, an, you'll have 10 ideas for punchlines as well. You'll have a whole bunch. And a lot of times 
I'm wrong about the punchline. I love to, I'm mostly always right about the story. I'm al mostly always right about the audience having fun and getting lost in the concept of a story and uh, being into it. But I am frequently wrong about what the correct punchline would be. Because there's a lot of times where I'll <laughs> throw out what I think is a punchline and it won't get any heat. And I'll be like, really? Really? That's <laughs> and then I have to riff and then I'll find something else, you know, and, and, and they love it. Like there's a, I do a story about an awkward... There was a there was a guy in the hotel room next to me um, having a little uh, having a little hymn time if that makes any sense he was having a <laughs> he was basically having a having a play with himself uh, in the next hotel room and uh, and I had and and my t television wasn't working my television was hooked up to his TV for some reason I I was trying to watch a hockey game I'm trying to watch a hockey game and he's trying to watch porn. And, uh, and basically it's a hilarious story and there's a back and forth and there's like, I finally have to give up on my hockey game, you know, and I, and I now have to let his porn play on my TV because I'm too lazy to leave my room, all kinds of, no so, it's, so there's all kinds of fun in that. But then, uh, I had, I had several punchlines that I used to use about like finally leaving my room and I pass his room and I yell at his door and I'm like, hey, dude, you got terrible taste in adult cinema, right? And then he answers my door and I had a whole ton of punchlines that, uh, that I just couldn't find. But for some reason, one night at a club, I said, and then he answered his door and that's how I met the other comedian that I was working with for the weekend. I did not see this coming, but that turned into, that's turned into like an eruption type punchline and i still to be perfectly honest i'm still a bit baffled as to why <laughs> as to why audiences like that punchline so much more than a lot of the other ones that i actually had written down and that i thought would be good but you know what sometimes you sometimes you just can't pick it thanks very much for listening if you want to get in touch with me you can tweet me at ross a garner if you want to get in touch with the other ross you can how do people get in touch with you ross uh, you can tweet at Bottle of Rednet. And Justin? I'm author JLA. And uh, Jason, do you want to tout whatever wares you happen to have? Um, well, okay, my website is jjwhitehead.net, and I got a new, there's a new CD coming out any day now. We just put in the order for vinyl yesterday as well, so it's going to be, it's going to be fancy. Um, right, so, <laughs> so yeah, do look me up. I'm jjwhitesnake on Twitter as well. So. Great. Thanks very much, and thanks very much for listening. Uh, if you want to find out more about the show, you can find us at bottleofred.net. We'll be back next week talking about podcasting in general. Bye for now. <laughs>